Boy, is it good to be back here with you. Just fantastic. Um, this is the first sermon I get to preach now that we're back. I'm on next week too. Can I just enlist you? I did this earlier with a few people that were here. Would you start praying for our governor and freeholders and stuff, the people that give us permission to meet here? Because like, spent millions of dollars on this building and we got... Uh, 15, 1,600 seats in here, and I can have 150 people. That makes no sense whatsoever, um, and they should change that rule, and they won't even answer my letters or come and visit our facility. Uh, we have the newest air conditioning filtering system you can possibly have. Uh, like, this is one of the safest places, definitely safer than Walmart. Um, or Dunkin' Donuts, or let's make a long list of all the restaurants. You know, it's like, so this should happen. So I, when you pray, when you pray for that, we're not going to take legal action or anything like that, but I'm asking God to change people's hearts, and to change their hearts would be good, because he says he, he, he can deal with the hearts of kings, so I'm sure he can handle a governor. So let's pray for that, all right? I want to preach to you from the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles or you have your phone, turn it on, look for it, turn the pages, open it up to Acts chapter 6. Acts 6. You're going to love this message. Um, you know, we're doing a series of messages called the After Effects. And we're doing the After Effects of one person's life now for the next two sermons. His name is Stephen. And you're going to see who Stephen was in just a few minutes. We'll go through and explain all this. But Stephen was a highly effective and, 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 and powerful person, literally changed the course of history. And I'm going to show you that to you now out of Acts 6. And the reason he's highlighted is because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see that, which is a lot of what the whole book of Acts is about. It's about how the Holy Spirit operated in people's lives and can operate in our lives as well. So, we're going to look at what, what he did in one, one life, and he can't help but ask the question, well, what's the after effects in my life? You know, being a pastor, I do funerals. <laughs> and lots of times, that's what a funeral is, is people getting up talking about the after effects of one person's life, which is what we're studying here today. What's going to be the after effect of my life? What's going to be the after effect of your life? A good question to ask. Something we need to literally pray about as we think about it right now. So I'd like to pray about this message in light of that question right now. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus, recognizing that we're in a difficult time in history for the whole world, let alone America. And we know that without your grace and your power and your strength, we will not be able to comprehend what we should do or even do the right thing. So right now, help us look at this character in the Bible revealed to us for such a time as this to help us understand what we can do and who we are and what we have in the power of the Holy Spirit to literally change our life and many, many more. May this be a turning point for the people in this facility right here listening, as well as the people watching online. And Lord, I pray, no matter whether we're in our living room, uh, we're watching this on our computer in the kitchen, or, or we're right here in this room, that either case, Lord, we'll be able to connect with you as the body of Christ, your church, and understand what it means for each one of us to have your spirit in us, to be able to be the church of God, and what that means significantly in this day, just like Stephen did in his day. I ask this in Jesus' name. 
It's very serious, Lord, for each one of us. Amen. Well, today we start a two-part character study on the life of Stephen, chapter 6 and chapter 7. We'll cover chapter 7 next week. And um, this two-part series is what I like to call a character study. I don't know if you've read any of the books I've written. I've written three different books, one about the character in the life of Moses, one about the character in the life of David, one about the character in, and the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. They're all Old Testament guys, but I love character studies because they're raw and they're real. You, you look at someone's life in its raw form and what happened, what they did, how they related to God, what God did through their lives, and you can see the application so clearly into your own life because it's life on life. I love that. And that's what we get to do today with Stephen. We're going to take a look at this chapter 6 and see what's revealed to us about Stephen, and then you can measure it up against your own life and where you're at and what you're facing very, very applicable, especially in our day. So I love doing character studies. I'm excited about doing this sermon. See, D Stephen's life changed the course of history, as I already mentioned. And let me tell you right off, right at the very beginning, let me tell you right off the major thing that we can learn from his life, his teaching, and even his death, which we'll learn about next week. Here's it. Here it is. Stephen shows all of us that no matter how insignificant you may feel or you may think your place in life is, you can be used to change thousands of people's lives, even millions, which is what happened to Stephen. He literally changed the course of not only church history, but history in the world. One life, one guy. Because he understood who he was and what God wanted to do through him. I don't know how much he understood it, but you don't need to understand everything. You need to understand mostly your identity in Christ, who you are, and how you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why this is recorded for us. The key thing for Stephen was, please listen to this, he didn't limit God. And that's what stops you. That's what stops me. Oh, I'm not smart enough. Oh, I'm not, I'm not uh, very good in public. Oh, I'm not, I'm not that outgoing. Oh, I'm, 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 not, um, I'm not that brave. You know, I'm kind of shy. Oh, you know, I, I just, I, 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 you know, I'm not as smart as some of these other folks that I hear. We keep doing that kind of thing, focusing on our limitations. And what was so cool about studying Stephen, and you're going to see it, he didn't do that. He didn't focus on him. He didn't focus on his problems or his limitations or what he couldn't do or his handicaps. He focused on God and what God could do through him. I'm, I'm hoping that you can do that tonight. You can do that today if you're watching online. You, you, you can do that right there where you're at. Start to say, you know what? I need to stop limiting God. I limit him so easily by just focusing on my problems. And this is really common. Like, I've been a pastor over 40 years now. I'm just telling you, this is, this is a major problem. Every one of us needs to look at Stephen and comprehend and, and look at our own lives and think, huh, what's the after effect going to be in my life? Well, I guess that kind of depends on how much I limit what God, what God wants to do through me. So, I'd like to look at this with you today. My hope is that you'll look at Stephen and there'll be a change. And point one in your outline reads like this. You and Stephen were chosen. So if I gave you reasons why you should stop limiting God, this would be reason number one. 
you're chosen. Um, let me give you a little background to verse 1. Before I read verse 1 of chapter 6, the context is this. The church is now exploding. It's growing like crazy. As you've heard in the last couple sermons, there's people being added to the, to the, uh, to the church day by day. It's a very, very exciting place to be. And guess what happens? A complaint. Yep, a Christian, a group of Christians complaining about another group of Christians. Guys, please listen to me. This is as old as it gets. This is the devil's trick every time. He's still doing the same trick. Get infighting happy. Get division happy. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. That's always Satan's plan. And that's sure enough what he does right here in the Bible. Right here. He divides them by getting a complaint to happen. Some group of Christians complain against another group of Christians. Ready? Let's read verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, there it says, they're growing like crazy, a complaint by the Hellenistics arose against the Hebrews. Hellenistics, Hellenistics the word means he, uh, Jew, um, Greek-speaking, Greek-speaking Jews against the Hebrew-speaking Jews. Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, let me give you a little background so you can understand it. Back in the synagogues in that day, and the Christians that adopted this practice, here, here's what it was. Every Friday, okay, Sabbath is Saturday, right? So every Friday, the group of people would go to all the different merchants that were in the congregation and ask them for a donation for the poor and the needy and the widows and people in need, right? So they're collecting it from all the merchants. And they would, another group would go to all the houses and collect from everybody else in the congregation a collection. So money's being given, goods are being given to help the needy people in the congregation. And then Friday night, they would go out and distribute them. Now, there's two kinds, as I just mentioned, two kinds of Jews. Remember, this is all Jerusalem. Okay, this is just in Jerusalem. The Christians had adopted this practice that they, that they did in the Jewish synagogues because most of the people there are Jewish Christians, right? Almost all of them are Jewish Christians. So they're practicing what they did in the synagogue just as now as Christians doing the same thing. And so there's two kinds of Jews here, though, in the Jerusalem church. There's the Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Jews from Jerusalem, the local Jews. But then there's also people that came there for the day of Pentecost, just stayed there. There's all kinds of things going on. There's people that are foreigners, and they've kind of forgotten their Hebrew. They've kind of forgotten Aramaic, and they speak mostly Greek. And the Greek-speaking or Hellenistic Jewish widows and the people around them are saying, hey, these guys are being neglected. There's favoritism here. You're showing favoritism to the, to the Jewish ones, the, the Hebrew-speaking Jews, and not to the Greek-speaking Jews. Conflict, problems, complaint, division. Like I said, this is Satan's number one method, still is in churches today. Get complaining happening. That's what I got to do, the devil. So I got to get complaining happen. Sure enough, it's happening right here at the beginning of the church. And by the way, I've been a pastor here 40, 40 years. It's never stopped. There's always complaining. Always has been, since we were meeting in my house 40 years ago. Yeah, we had complaints there, too. Always have complaints. In fact, when we moved out of the house into the school, somebody complained, we're getting too big. Like, are you kidding me? I don't even have 50 people here yet. Too big, yeah. So they quit coming to our church. Seriously, they did. I did. Well, complaining happened. So what was the solution? 
Look at verses 2 through 7. Ready? Look in your, look in your phones or in your Bibles. It reads like this. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. In other words, they talked to the whole church about it. And they chose, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A great number of priests. You know, that's like going fishing and you catch up big one. Like this is, you get a priest saved. This is outstanding because they're already really schooled in the Old Testament, already know all of it, and they become a Christian now. This is going to influence a whole lot of people because they have a huge network of people that they oversee. So the priests becoming Christians was huge. So that was their solution. What was their solution? Pick seven guys. In other words, leadership. The disciples took on their leadership responsibility and appointed other leaders, seven guys, sometimes called deacons, because it's translated that, I think, in King James Version, called deacons. And the deacons took care of these, these widows and the whole process of the Friday night, I mean, the Friday uh, collection, the Friday night deliveries and all that stuff. So these seven guys. And who was the first one they mentioned? Stephen. That's our boy. That's who we're looking at tonight. Stephen was picked out number one. And if you remember, if you looked at the text with me, you saw three qualifications. What were they? Remember? First one was what? First, he had to have a good reputation. Second, he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they say. And then last, full of wisdom. So they, this is the kind of person they were looking for. They weren't just looking for a body. They weren't looking for somebody to just do it. They wanted spiritual men to handle this rather mechanical thing. Isn't it interesting? They had very high qualifications for what they wanted these people to do. These people need to be leaders, so they need to be people of high character, people that have a good reputation, people that are full of the Holy Spirit. And that's a big one to notice because that's going to be repeated more and more. And then even when they picked Stephen, they said he was a man full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. Wow. They keep mentioning that. And the number one pick was Stephen. He was chosen. This choosing, choosing idea was very important to Stephen. And very significant to you and me. Because if I could take time, and I don't have time to do this, I could show you through the New Testament how in the book of Ephesians, or the book of Colossians, or the book of Romans, the Bible says over and over again, you're chosen, you're elect, you're, you're the chosen of God, you're predestined. And sometimes as Christians, we get all hung up on this idea of chosenness or election or predestination. But the main reason is we're supposed to take comfort in that idea. That this is not just something we made up or something we decided to do. This is something God's initiating. That's what chosenness means. So here's Stephen realizing God called me out to do this. You need to recognize, I need to recognize God. God's called you out. You aren't just a Christian because you decided to. 
You aren't just a Christian because you figured it out. No, no, God was working toward you, calling you to himself. And you heard his call and you responded, and he's responded to you because he chose you. That chosenness is extremely important to Stephen. And the reason he did such a phenomenal job in what he did, because as we're going to read on later, he did a lot more than just uh, deliver food to needy people. As, as important as that is, he did a lot more than that. The, the point of it is, Stephen recognized, I'm not regular. I'm not just a normal person. Now, I don't know about you as a believer, but do you recognize that about yourself yet? Christians are not supposed to be regular. We're not supposed to be normal. And when we try and be normal, we're actually working against God because we're not. You're chosen by God. That's what the whole emphasis in the New Testament is about when it talks about our election, our chosenness, our predestination. It means that God it makes you a different person. And how does he do that? Remember in John chapter 3 about being born again? You're literally born again. How could you be compared or regular like a person that's not born again? You actually have the Spirit of God. You see, the Holy Spirit of God has been given to you, and you're indwelt by him. And the emphasis here in Acts chapter 6, they keep saying that about Steve. Stephen's full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen's full of the Holy Spirit. Oh, these other guys too, but all the Christians have the Holy Spirit, but he's full of it. He lets it fill him, control him is what that means. As a result, I think he had a huge impact. But he had to realize, he did realize, I'm just not a normal person. I'm not a regular person. I'm chosen by God. This, this strikes home to me, and I've mentioned this before in other sermons, but when I became a Christian when I was 18 years old, up to that point in my life, um, I would have to say I did not see myself as normal. I did not see myself as regular. In fact, I didn't even come up to being regular or normal. You see, because all my life, ever since I started going to school, I had this problem, like with reading. I had dyslexia. They finally, when I was in third grade, called it that. I had no idea what that meant, but it's why other kids could read, I couldn't read. Other kids could comprehend it, I was slow. I couldn't do it. So I didn't, I didn't feel regular. I felt below regular. I didn't feel average, I felt below average, because everybody kept telling me I was below average, and I kept going to the dumb kids' classes because I was below average. I kept, you know, can, you, many of you can't relate to that, but you're even in Sunday school class, or you're in a school class, and when it comes to your, your turn to read, you stumble over the words, you're all embarrassed, you can't get it out, you just can't, and you, you, you honestly feel below average. I did, all, my whole life. September of 1970, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, like Stephen, I took it very seriously that I was born again. Took it very seriously that the Holy Spirit was in me. And when I started reading the Word of God and started seeing what being born again or the Holy Spirit inside of me could do. Listen to me. Holy Spirit. God is holy. You and I try and make God so human nowadays, but He's not. He's not human. That's what holy means. Holy means other, holy other, different. And he would come inside me. He would come inside you. That makes you what? Not regular. Not normal. Please put that away. So 
So then they go on, you know, and here, here's what's unusual too. You, you don't know this about me. I'm the middle child. I have a little sister. She was always pretty, always smart. Guys would come to our house. I got in a fight one time with a guy because everybody wanted to be with my, my sister. And then I have an older brother. My older brother's bigger than me, stronger than me, smarter than me, better looking than me, everything. So I was that middle child. And that's why I maybe had something to do with my rebelliousness when I was 15, 16, because I was, I, I didn't fit. I couldn't measure up. But when I became a Christian at 18 years old, I realized, yeah, but I'm not regular. I'm not normal. I'm his. His spirit has come to live in me now, and I have something divine within me. I'm not normal. That Folks changed everything. Now all of a sudden I wanted to read something. I'm going to learn to read, even if I have to force myself, which is what ended up happening. The Holy Spirit gave me power to learn that. I started going to school. I started getting C's, which was a big deal, and B's. Next thing you know, I'm getting A's. I went to graduate school with an A minus average, one of the tops in the class. I'm proud of that because I didn't do it. So then I start a church in New Jersey and it grows. We go into one building, next building. Now here we are in this building that, like I said, seats thousands. We've had thousands of people here. And nobody, please listen to this, nobody's more surprised than me. I did that? No. God did. Just like Stephen, I'm sure he was surprised. As you're going to read on what he did, it's like, he he would probably go, golly, I didn't do it. That must be God. And that's how I feel even about this church. Well, I didn't do it. Must be God. And he used me as his abnormal little kind of weak guy, actually. Like I said, nobody's more surprised that I could be used like this at this church like I have. I'm surprised. Certainly my mother and father were unbelievably surprised, especially when I wanted to go into ministry. Like, you want to go in, huh? Anyway, it's all because we're chosen just like Stephen. That's the point I'm trying to make. So, don't look at your limitations. I've had limitations my whole life. God told me, stop looking at that and look at me. I don't know what your limitation might be. What's holding you back? What's intimidating you? What caused you to say, well, I, oh, well yeah, no, oh, not me. Oh, really? Why did he choose you? He chose you because he wants to use you. Come on now. What are you looking at? You're looking at you. You're looking at the limits. You're looking at the problems. Now, God, God could even use somebody like Stephen, who's basically picked to serve tables and help people that are widows and orphans. And he goes, but he's used greatly. Look what happens. Point two. You and Stephen were given grace and power. Look at chapter 6, verses 8, 9, and 10. It reads like this. And Stephen, full of grace and power, so it just mentions there, wow, he's even full of grace and he's full of power, was, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Wow, he even was doing miracles? Yeah. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedman, so these are Jews now from the outside, not Christians, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, let me try and explain this, because this is phenomenal. This, this is unbelievable. There's good things happening here. There's bad things happening here. The good thing is this. Stephen, he, he went beyond just doing his job. 
or like you in church, beyond just teaching Sunday school, being an usher, beyond just saying, well, I'm a Christian and I'll, I'll be friends with people at work. No, he went beyond that. I'm going to try and help people really see God. He went beyond that and he gave himself to serving other people. When it says here, Stephen was given grace and power. You know what that means, right? It's because he wasn't just doing his job. He didn't see himself as just normal, regular. He said, I'm here to do something. I'm here to change somebody's life. I'm here to minister. So God uses him to perform signs and wonders, it says. Could God do that with you? Sure he could. Focus on him, not your problems, not your limits. Go beyond the limits. Look at what God could do. So Stephen starts looking at it that way, and sure enough, God gives him extra grace and extra power to do things. That's what this passage is trying to tell us. Now, the bad news is that Stephen had solved this problem, and sure enough, what happens? Uh, another problem comes along. Have you ever noticed that in life? Isn't that true? You solve one problem, and then there's another problem. And then you solve that one, and then there's another problem. And that can really get you down, especially in coronavirus situations, right? Well, if Steve were here, he would say, hey, 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 there's always going to be problems. Don't focus on the limits. Don't focus, you're limiting God. God knows there's always problems. It's a sinful world. It's an evil generation, they called it back then. We're starting to fit the same scenario. We're an evil generation. What we need to do is focus on God, not our limits, not our problems. So Stephen doesn't quit. I love that about him. He could easily quit right here and go, oh, this is over my head. I can't handle this problem. I, and, uh, now guess what? Now we solved the problem within the church. Now we got problems. There's all whole guys ganged up on us, and they're coming after us, all these Jews. Blaming us for this, blaming us for that. Things we don't even do or just didn't even say. He could easily quit, and I've seen it so many times. Um, like, I remember when we started this church, there was a guy who became our, our biggest giver. I can tell you about him now. He's already gone home to be with the Lord, but his name was Dick Wright. He helped our denomination even get the idea of starting a church in Medford. And he was our biggest giver. We're meeting in the house, meeting with him. We're meeting at the school over there, and we started having small groups and started doing some other things. He didn't like what we were doing. And I remember when I went up to talk with him one Sunday, uh, folding metal chairs. I got my hand in the folding metal chair because I'm shaking. I'm like 30 years old, and I'm talking to this 60-year-old. He's smarter, he's wiser. I mean, some of the skyscrapers in Philly, he was the guy helping build them. He was a very accomplished person, and he was the major giver in our church. And he's so mad about some of the things we're not doing and some of the things we are doing. He decides, if I don't change, he's leaving the church. This is our biggest giver. Just like the devil, right? One problem, then another problem, then he threw another one at you. I could have focused on that and quit right there. Was I tempted? Oh, yeah. This is over my head. It's not working. And I've seen so many people quit church. He did. That guy left our church, and our church didn't fall apart. Our church kept growing, reaching people for Christ. Many of you are in small groups today. You know, we have all these, we used to call them mini churches now, that we call them community groups, you know? He didn't like that idea. I thought that was wrong, sinful even, he called it. Really? That's going to happen. We're going to have division. We're going to have problems. Don't focus on that. Focus on God. His limitless power, his limitless grace was given to Stephen to be used. Unbelievable.
You know, just a few weeks ago, we had a lady who was very involved in our church for years uh, pass away. She, uh, her name was Joyce Rose. And Joyce Rose is one of the toughest, strongest people I've ever met in my whole life. Probably several of you sitting here know who I'm talking about. Joyce was strong for a couple reasons. The major one would be the Holy Spirit came into her. But when she was three years old, she was diagnosed with polio. And at three, they started trying to help her get, even do some um, surgeries. I think by the time she was 12, she had had 12 or 15 surgeries. And Joyce limped with a very noticeable limp. Those who know Joyce know she did. Now, can you imagine? Can you just imagine if you're a teenage girl and you limp? You'd be thinking, what guy is going to give me a second look? And that'd just break your heart. Poor cute little Joyce was probably limping around thinking, well, no guy's going to give me a second look. I guess I'll never get married. I guess I'll never have kids. But she did. She got married to John. They had kids, and then they both got radically saved. Because John was quite a pagan himself. But they got radically saved. And to hear Joyce talk about that, and how she viewed life totally differently now, and her limitations totally differently, which made her one of the toughest people I've ever met in my life. Because you wouldn't talk about your problem or your limitation. Joyce would say, hey, you're fine. You got nothing wrong with you. I mean, I had 15, 16 surgeries. I still walk with a limp. And if God could use me. And she was working so much in our children's ministry, we had to hire her because she just was doing too much. And so we started paying her. And she became a leader of our children's ministry for many years. God used her in literally hundreds, even thousands of kids' lives. Maybe some of you sitting right here were influenced by Joyce Rose. Why? She's just like Stephen didn't focus on her limitations, didn't focus on being crippled. He was happy that she didn't have to wear leg braces and, and, and walk with, with, with crutches. Thankful she could walk. Thankful that Jesus saved her, her heart. And just to think she's in heaven right now, just running up and down. Because God has got a plan for your life. God wants to use you. She was given what? Grace and power. Way beyond herself. So are you. So are you. Don't doubt that. I, I look at your face and just think, I can't really see your face. But I look at your mask and I think, you're not believing this, are you? You don't think this applies to you. It does. You limit God. What was so refreshing about, about Joyce Rose is she would not limit God. And God used her in a powerful way. Kids, grandkids, the whole thing. Polio couldn't stop her. Point three. Let's finish this now. It gets very dynamic. You and Stephen were given wisdom and the Holy Spirit. That's what it says next. And let's read verse 10 again. 10 through the end. Verse 15 reads like this. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So again, another problem, right? But he doesn't focus on that. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him, brought him in, in before, uh, brought him before the council. 
And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this, this holy place, talking about the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, there's several things we need to look at. I want to get to that last verse particularly, but there's a few observations first. Notice, Stephen knew the word of God. So these people were confounded by his speaking, so much so they couldn't confront him. And then now they take him and they drag him before the council. There's people lying about him, saying he's blaspheming God. He needs to be judged for this. And they say he's against two things. He's against the temple and against the holy place and the law. And what's Stephen saying to these people? Saying, you know your problem? Problem is you limit God to a temple. You think that temple you built is the only place God is right now, which is what the Jewish people thought? There's the Holy of Holies inside the temple. That's where God really is. He's saying, no! The Holy Spirit's come, like promised in the prophet Joel. Remember the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came upon us. The, now we are the temple of God. Don't limit God to just being in a building. Don't limit God to being in this building or being in church or being when you're trying to have your quiet time or whatever. No, it's he's much, much bigger than that, more powerful than that. He's trying to help them understand they've limited God to themselves and their traditions and what they thought God was like. They had, again, humanized him, tried to make him into something just a little, like a real smart person. No, no, no. <laughs> He's so holy and other than that. And to think he would give us his Holy Spirit, it's just bizarre. That's the whole point here. So, Tells us Stephen here really handles the word of God right. Does a great job talking to them. He's given wisdom, it says, right? This confounds them because how did he get such wisdom? But remember this. Listen to me. Please listen to this. He's talking to the Jewish council. These guys are scholars. These guys are all older than him. These guys have more experience than him. These guys have more education than them. I don't know about you, but if I were there, I'd be shaking in my boots. I'd be scared spitless. I'm going to say something stupid. I'm uneducated compared to these guys. I'm much younger compared to these guys. And yet he's boldly standing before them because he doesn't just have the word of God. He has what? The Holy Spirit. It's the same with you and me. So many times I've witnessed to people or spoken sermons like this, and I realize, you know what? It's not me. I'm doing the best job I can to, to portray the word of God, but it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit that makes it real to you. It's the Holy Spirit that changes people's lives. And right here, like even the people that couldn't answer him, like they said, we're confounded by him. They're all smarter than him. How, how come he's messing them up so much? How come he seems smarter? Because he has the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point of the book of Acts, writing this story. And then, here's my favorite part. You ready? The last verse. What does it say again? Engaging at him, all who sat in the council, all of them, saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What is this about? What does that mean? Was his face shiny? Was it brighter? Or was it just like peaceful? Listen to me. It's so obvious what's going on here. 
The Bible's trying to tell us, because over and over again, the number one trait it's been telling us about Stephen is what? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the number one thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit is what? He looks like he has peace. It looks like he has confidence. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, you know, self-control. Stephen is so confident. He's so self-assured. He seems full of joy. He seems to have such peace. It probably the most stressful time of his life. How about you? You in the most stressful time of your life right now? Or have you been? Are you like this? His face was like the face of an angel. Her face was like the face of an angel. How would you ever get that? You already have it. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, if you're a Christian, you have it. But you just keep focusing on the limits. You keep focusing on the crippledness. You keep focusing on the problem. Not the solution. Not God. Later on, you're going to see him. He has a vision, too, toward the end of his sermon. That's next week. I don't want to spoil that. But I want you to get this right here so clearly. The fruit of the Spirit can be yours. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, all of that. In the midst of the most stressful time of your life, when you focus on the Lord, when you don't limit him by your inabilities, your problems, the things you can't do, the things you don't do well, don't focus on that. His, your face can be shown like an angel. There can be this effect by your face. He literally was affecting them by just the countenance on his face. They could see, wow, he not only has the right answers, he looks like he has the right answers. <laughs> How, how's this kid doing that? They're scratching their head. These scholars, these guys are smarter than him. He's confounding them. You can too. It's a dependence upon the Spirit. He recognized, like I said here, that he was chosen. He recognized here that God's going to give him the grace and the power, and he recognizes God's going to give him the wisdom and, and, and the Holy Spirit. Has this ever happened to you? Let me end with this. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been able to do something, and you look back and you go, wow, I must have been the Lord. I, or you had such confidence or peace in the midst of something. There's many, 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 many times I could tell you about in my own life. Let me tell you a couple of more spectacular ones. Like one time, I'm about 20 years old. I've been a Christian all of two years. I'm leading this big coffeehouse ministry. Uh, three or, two or 300 kids are coming out every Friday night. I'm running a staff of like 25, 30 people. In fact, my father-in-law used to say, oh, Marty, you didn't realize it, but that was your first church. Yeah, I guess, but it was all kids, you know. So we're having church. And one night, this kid comes, Jeff, and I'd worked with Jeff many times. Jeff was a problem. Jeff had a lot of problems, emotional problems, spiritual problems, all kinds of problems. And that night, he was drunk. So he's scaring a lot of the girls, being very aggressive. Plus, he's just kind of a scary guy to look at. He's big. He's tough. He's strong. He says inappropriate things. And so I grabbed Jeff. I said, Jeff, come with me. We go in a back room. So I'm in the back room with Jeff. We sit down. I go, Jeff, what are you doing? Da, 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 da. And I got pretty tough with him, and he didn't like it. So Jeff stood up, much bigger than me, grabbed me, threw me on the floor, and started beating me. So what did I do? I could focus on Jeff and my problem, or I could focus on the Lord. 
And I heard, just heard a story about a girl being raped and how she cried out to Jesus and the rapist stopped because he knew he was going to deal with her, but he didn't know he had to deal with Jesus. So I did that. I cried out to Jesus. And it's like you hit Jeff in the head with a brick. He just stopped, stood back, turned the light back. I told, forgot to tell you, he turned the light off when he did this. Turned the light back on and was like weeping, asking me to forgive him. In fact, several years after that, he was still asking me to forgive him for that. Isn't it amazing what God can do? And I was learning right there. Marty, it's not you. You can stop Jeff. You're not strong enough to stop Jeff, but I can stop Jeff. Yeah, I, I can stop him. You talk to me. You look to me. Stop looking at your own limitations. I was learning it right there, 20 years old. I can tell you about other ones. I wrote them down here. Like I remember one time when I was probably about 21, and I'm in my last year of college, and I'm invited to speak at this thing where there's going to be like 2,000 people. I've spoken to maybe 200 max, 2,000 people. I'm scared spitless. Got my talk all trained. They even had a mentor training me how to speak. I get up in front of this crowd. I thought, you know, I'm going to get dry mouth so bad. I don't know if you've ever spoken when you're really nervous. You get dry. You don't have any saliva left. And you can tell when you talk. It doesn't come across. Everything came across beautifully. And the Lord was saying again, see, Marty? I can, I've chosen you. I've given you grace and power. I'll give you wisdom and the Holy Spirit. But believe me, if my spirit is in you, I'm going to do something. Trust me. Turn to me. I could tell you story after story of our own church and how I've seen God do in the same way. But probably the most dramatic for me was in 1992 when I came down with the Epstein-Barr virus. And I was shocked. I really was how peaceful I was. Here I was, no job, no, no hope for future, not knowing what's going to happen. My wife doesn't know what's going to happen. Her sister-in-law has breast cancer. Her mother's looking ill. She, my bro wife broke her lay foot. Everything was just going down, down, down. And I felt peace. I felt like, well, that's, God's got a big problem. In fact, I told someone in the church, Ralph Cochran, that one time. He says, how are things going? I said, well, God's got a lot of problems <laughs> with me. I, I gave my life to him. That's his problem. Do you understand? That's, did you know holy? That's what it means. To be holy means given to God. Like if I've got a, a goblet and I give it to the temple in the Old Testament, that is only supposed to be used by God. If you're going to be holy and have the Holy Spirit use you, you have to be given to God where you say, I'm just going to be God's. Because that's why he gave you the Holy Spirit. That's why he called you, chose you to himself. So tonight, you're going to hear a song now. Worship team's going to come out. But I'd like to pray with you about this. So would you bow your head right now? Just bow your head, whether you're at home listening to me, or, or, or you're right here in this room. Turn your heart toward the Lord. Maybe like me, often this happens. I have to say, dear God, please forgive me for limiting you. I limit you with my words. I limit you with my actions. I limit you with my feelings. I limit with you with, with how I view myself and my inadequacies. Please forgive me. Lord, I remember when the Epstein-Barr virus hit me and I had to just say, okay, Lord, well, it's yours. I have so many limits now. I, I, there's no way I could be used. And look what you've done. 
That was over 25 years ago. I can't believe what you've done. Father, I pray for everyone here. And right now, you, you pray with me. Lord, forgive me for limiting you. And now, I want to focus. Please help me change the focus of my life. Away from my problem, my difficulty, my, my lack of satisfaction, lack of desire, my, my, my inabilities, my crippledness. Help me be tough. Like Choice Rose saying, well, I'm going to trust God anyway, even if I am crippled for the rest of my life. Even if I am going to walk for a limp with a limp, I'm going to be the best limper God ever had because I'm going to trust him. So I challenge you to do that. The Holy Spirit wants to take residency in you to use you. That's the meaning of this whole thing. No matter how insignificant you may feel that you are or think that you are with your problem, my challenge to you is don't let that be your limit. Turn to God. Lord, we come before you today to trust you. We come before you tonight, today, wherever anybody's listening to this online and as we, as we tape it or right here in person. Just say, Lord, I'm not going to limit anymore. Help me keep that conviction. Help me make that statement and live it out now. To focus my attention on the Holy Spirit given to me by a holy God. I'm not normal. I've been chosen by God. I've been given grace and power in your Holy Spirit and his wisdom. Guide me now. Lead me now. As I rest my life totally in you. In Jesus' name, amen.